Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. We are up to episode 17. Um, this one, we're going back to the news. I know I was going to get into um, some of my favorite and not-so-favorite TV shows coming off of favorite toys, not-so-favorite toys growing up as a kid, but the news has just been unbelievable lately with some really crazy stories. Let's get right to the Sony hack story. Um, Unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you're aware that Seth Rogen and James Franco were in a movie called The Interview, which was about the assassination of Kim Jong-un, who is the leader of North Korea. And it was to be a comedy and um, somehow it leaked out. North, someone in North Korea got a hold of this, hacked into Sony, and basically started making threats, uh, terroristic threats, that if this movie comes out, they're going to blow up theaters, um, take out all kinds of terrorist attacks on American targets. Um, they hacked into Sony's emails. They stole information with regards to technology that's coming out which they then leaked um they stole all kinds of inter office memos that they started leaking to celebrities and i talked about it with the um angelina jolie thing and basically everything that was a secret in sony is now exposed this is our first cyber attack um so welcome to a new type of war this is a cyber war First issue is the issue with regards to whether or not the movie should have been released. And this is a tricky one because it's not so much whether or not the movie should have been released as the theaters refusing to play the movie. And and that's the big thing. If I own a theater and I know that there is a threat against Anyone showing this movie now, we, we got to start getting into my legal hat. And if the theater is aware that there is a potential danger by them taking an action such as showing this film, if the theater only houses one movie house and the people going there are going to see just that one movie and the theater says out front, Listen, we've had threats. We've had terroristic threats. It's been all over the news. You understand by coming into this theater that you're assuming the risk. We have security here. We've done what we can under the normal circumstances. However, we cannot prevent against every type of threat. I think the theater could get out of that one because I think the people going to the theater assume the risk knowing it was out there by going to this movie. I don't think you're going to get a jury um, that is going to step forward and say, you know what, the theater is liable for putting people in harm's way. I think everybody identified the threat. It was out there. It was open. It was notorious. It was basically come at your own risk. And that single movie house theater basically took a position of we're going to show this because we're not going to buckle to cyber threats and things of that 
type. Um, I think that movie house could evade legal responsibility. I'm sure their insurance carrier wouldn't be thrilled about what I'm saying, but that's one scenario. The next scenario is now if you have a theater that has, and in most cases, New York City, tri-state area, Los Angeles, big cities, movie theaters are no longer single theater houses. They're these megaplexes, you know, 10, 20 movie theaters within one building. If you're showing two or three screenings of the interview and you have 18 other theaters showing 18 different movies or however many different movies. Now you could be potentially putting people into danger that didn't go see the interview and said, hey, listen, you know what? I went to that theater to see something else. I took my kids to see a Disney movie. I took, you know, I wanted to see Mockingjay. I wanted to see whatever is out there. Next thing I know, part of the theater is blowing up because of a threat against this movie being released. This theater should have done more to protect me. Now it's the, the, water, the water is a little bit more muddied. Now I think the theater has more of a liability issue. And I think when you have multiple theaters, I think crowd control, I think security becomes much more difficult. Now it's a tougher call for that theater to say, yes, we're going to show this movie. So looking at it legally, using my legal hat from a theater background, it's hard for the individual houses to make that call. If you're a single standalone one screen theater, I think you could definitely say, screw it, we're showing it. Multiplex, you got more of a problem. Okay, now let's deal with the level before that, which is the actual release of this film. Sony basically said, we're not releasing it. We're not putting it out there in any way, shape, or form. And I'm assuming the reason for it is national security and security of people. And Sony doesn't want to get sued by putting this movie into theaters, knowing that there's terroristic threats and basically putting the danger at the, the public at risk of danger. Now, again, Sony falls into the same position as these theaters. The threat is out there. The warning is known. If Sony says, hey, listen, we're releasing this movie. What theaters want to show it? If theaters raise their hand and say, we'll watch, then guess what? You, they're going to watch. They're going to show it. You could sell it to them. Boom. You, you, there, there's your release. Now, if, you know, across this country... Sony asks that question and only five hands are raised and you have five theaters you're showing this in. If it becomes a cost issue, and now I'm putting my business owner hat on, if it becomes a cost issue and releasing this into five theaters, you're never going to see your money back. The cat will be out of the bag. You got, you know, pirating going on, people going into the theaters that are going to record it, you know, and, and then put it out on, on YouTube and this and that and, you know, expose it. At that point, it's a business decision. Now, a lot of theaters backed off. A lot of theaters said, we're not getting involved with this. So that changed Sony's position. But I, I think Sony should have come forward, in my opinion, and said, listen, we want to release this movie. We are not going to buckle to the pressures of a cyber war. 
we are going to call North Korea's bluff. And who out there wants to show this movie? See what the takers were. If there were not enough takers to make it a financially smart decision, then you can turn around as Sony and say, well, we had to make a business decision. And for the sake of our bottom line, we're not going to release the movie. I think that was Sony's best course of action. And again, I'm dealing with this strictly as a lawyer and a businessman right now. I'm lawyer with regards to the theaters, lawyer and businessman with regards to Sony. Now, let's take it a step further. Let's say enough hands raise to show this movie in theaters. You release it. People are afraid. No one goes. Well, you know what, Sony, you saved face by saying we are not going to buckle to the pressures of a cyber threat. And I think as a company, considering the disaster and the nightmare you're dealing with right now, that is a really good publicity move. I think it's, it's a good move to, again, show your strength in a time of weakness. Um, so that's, an, again, another reason why we want to release this. Financially, it's not viable. Not enough hands raised to show this in theaters. You're Sony. Now what's your next decision? The next decision is probably even a better scenario for Sony than releasing it in theaters, whether it would have been a minimal release or enough to potentially get money and get a good box office draw. And once again, be strong in a time of weakness. We are going to release this directly to Netflix. We're going to release this to YouTube as a pay-per-view. I got to tell you right now, with all of the attention that this is getting in the media, I think the movie would have probably made more money than anyone could have ever imagined it making than any financial forecaster any you know line producer at sony could have ever guessed with all this publicity if they would have released it as a pay-per-view to netflix or what youtube whatever that vehicle would have been i think the movie would have done mega millions because now the curiosity is out there one People are going to want to see what could have possibly ticked off North Korea so much. What is so offensive about this movie that North Korea engaged in a cyber war? The, the curiosity factor alone would have brought in tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars just on curiosity alone. That's the first thing. From a patriotic standpoint, if Sony says, you know what, we're not buckling to North Korea or any threats or terrorism. You know what, America? Let's show North Korea what we're about. We're going to release this on YouTube as a paper event, on Netflix, on DVR, whatever, as a paper event. And you know what? Since you're not going to a theater, since you're getting a home version of it, rather than paying 20 bucks, 15 bucks in a movie theater, 
Here it is for you, comfort of your own home, $10. The patriotic American would have probably jumped all over it. No question in my mind. At that point, you make it a flag-waving, chest-pounding, proud-to-be-American moment and release it that way. So now what do we have? If you've listened to me, we have release it, uh, schedule it for release, see if there's any takers in theaters. If there are takers but not enough, you make a business decision and say, okay, we save face. Then make the second decision, which is release it onto a pay-per-view event at home through your computer, through your TV. Everything in my logical, lawyer-like, judge-like analysis says you got to show this movie. You have to release it. And you have to release it now. You can't release this in two weeks, a month, two months, because, one, the next news story is right around the corner. Okay, that the next news story is coming. It actually happened simultaneous to this story, which I'm going to get into in a minute, which was the, the whole Cuba USA thing. The next story is around the corner, Sony, and this movie is going to get put on a back shelf. Everyone's going to forget about it. So you had a strike now, one. Two, the bravado and the chest-pounding moment and the you-don't-scare-us here it is, two weeks later, loses a lot of its gusto. Now it's not a chest-pounding moment anymore. Now it's everyone's had a time to go home, cool off, and now you come up and show up and say, you know what, screw it, we're going to do it. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Again, you've got to do it when emotions are running high. You have to do it now when people are, are jacked up about this. Because next week you got Christmas, you got more movies coming out, you got more news coming out. People are going to forget fast. This is America, man. We forget fast. Look at the news now. You're not seeing protests anymore. Well, you are, but it's about Cuba. It's not about, you know, cops anymore. People forget fast. So Sony, in my opinion, dropped the ball as of Thursday, December 18th when I'm doing this podcast Um, they dropped the ball. Unless they turn around within the next 24, 48 hours and say, screw it, um, I think they've dropped the ball. So they they could make this whole podcast moot by doing what should be the right thing. With regards to the government involvement in this issue and the, the president and whether or not they can enforce or try to make Sony show this movie. Government can't do a damn thing. Uh, You cannot tell a private business, listen, you can't buckle to a terroristic threat. You need to put this in theaters. And the reason why the government can't do that is twofold. One, because Sony is a private business and you can't tell a private business what to do. The second thing becomes the liability issue. And again, we go back to the lawyer hat. If the government instructs Sony to put this in theaters, and they do, and God forbid there's a terroristic threat, 
Sony will turn around and say, wait a minute, we didn't want to do this. We were forced to do this by the United States government. So you want to sue us? We're going to sue the United States government. The United States government then will declare governmental immunity and say, you can't sue us for ordinary negligence. There was certainly no intent in us trying to harm anyone. We felt we could protect all of our citizens as citizens as we do every day with regards to terrorist information. You know what? Someone snuck through the cracks, blew up one of the theaters. You can't blame us. So it, it, this is very much a legal issue. This is very much about protection, not so much of human lives. And I know it sounds terrible, but it, it's all about who bears the responsibility in the event something goes wrong. Who is going to be held accountable for the damages and the lost lives? Sony's taking the high road right now and saying, we're not putting anybody at risk. We don't need to get sued. We got enough problems trying to get control of our company again. Trying to deal with our partners that now all of our industrial information that was secretive is now out and exposed. All of the new technology, all of the potential mergers, all of the companies we were looking to work with, um, all of that is the out of cats out of the bag. And, and Microsoft and all the competitors now see, you know, what Sony was going to do. And, oh, we, need, we, we can jump on that technology. Let's get ahead of them. So they've got enough of a mess to clean up that they didn't want to take that chance. The government surely can't tell Sony to do it. And if they did, then they have to worry about putting people in, in harm's way. So to me, the ultimate answer was release it, Netflix, DVR, pay-per-view, whatever means, YouTube, that someone signs up for it in their own home and buys it. I think you absolutely positively had to release it. Now, that pretty much covers the Sony issue and all of that. With regards to the the quote-unquote cyber war, with North Korea. The fact that this was the IP address was traced back to North Korea. And as of again, December 18th, me doing this podcast, um, while Obama said it wasn't clear who led the break in, um, the, the forensic team finds strong circumstantial evidence that this was the North Korean government doing this. Okay, so now you have this issue of North Korea and the United States in a cyber war. Now, we had a Cold War in the 80s where we were stockpiling missiles for a war that never happened with the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc nations. Now we have this new thing, this cyber war, and governments hacking one another. Wow, this makes for an interesting battle. This takes the battle so far out of the government's hands and puts it into the hands of really savvy tech people that now, you know, we've gone from people hacking into individuals' personal accounts, information, credit card, and God knows I've been seeing a bunch of Facebook posts on people having their credit card information hacked. Now that we can see we can actually alter 
the actions of governments, what is to stop any business, any corporation, or even a government, CIA, FBI, KGB, English intelligence, you know, SAS, whatever you have out there, what is to stop any one of these entities from hacking into another government's security system, getting through their firewall, and uncovering information that way? We are so dependent upon computers today, you would have to assume all of our nation's secrets, all of our governmental secrets are in a computer system somewhere. Same as every country around the world, unless you're just not a developed nation and you're still keeping file cabinets. Um, all of your information is easily attainable if you can break through a firewall. Man, this is a whole new type of battle. This is a whole new type of war front that I got to tell you, I never anticipated. This is really an unbelievable news story from that aspect. Um, because now this is only going to start a whole new thing that if nations don't get together fast and have some type of international regulation put into effect pretty quickly, I think everyone's going to start doing this. And I'll tell you right now, maybe I'm naive. Maybe it's already been going on. You know, it's possible this has been happening for God knows how many years. And North Korea was the first one to drop the cyber bomb, so to speak, and really, you know, ignite this fire here and, and start a trend that no one saw coming. Um, I certainly didn't think about it. It's not something that was prevalent in my mind, but pretty crazy stuff. That is that is a, a pretty scary scenario when countries can can actually do that. Um, so interesting story there. Very interesting story. Um, again, you know, Sony's response. There it is. The next story that broke this week. Um, Cuba and the United States seem to make a deal through President Barack Obama. Um, and it was part of a prisoner exchange for the remaining uh, detained members of the Cuban Five. Um, the Cuban Five were five Cubans, obviously, hence five, that were jailed in the United States um, back in the 1990s. They were operating in Florida uh, with regards to, you know, stealing intelligence and, you know, wor working in, in kind of covert operations to try to get information from the United States. Um, there was uh, questions as to whether or not they were acting against the United States um, and whether or not they actually took out terror attacks, hotel bombings, um, tried to penetrate military bases. You know, there, there's a lot of questions as what the what the extent of their actual involvement was or was not. Apparently, they were linked to 
some murders, which is why they were definitely detained here. But this was part of the prisoner exchange. There were the, the remaining members of the Cuban Five, and that prisoner, those prisoners were exchanged for a United States prisoner who was detained in Cuba. And this was seemingly done by Barack Obama. And the question that has seemed to arise from this was, or is, did Barack Obama again overstep his presidential boundaries and take an action? You know, and I know there's a lot of people that the right is, you know, the, the emperor. You know, this is Barack Obama and his executive orders. And since the midterm elections and the, the losses by the Democrats, you know, Barack Obama's basically taken, a, I'm going to take an executive order approach to everything and screw Congress, I'm going to do it on my own. So the first issue is whether or not Barack Obama is acting outside of his authority. Now, same thing with the immigration policy. If he's acting outside of his authority, if what he is doing is so bad, dangerous, so far beyond his powers, Congress, December 18th, could race back to Washington, D.C., take action, and stop what Barack Obama basically put into effect, which he didn't really put a whole lot into effect. All he did was uh, a prisoner exchange, the three remember, remaining members of the Cuban Five, and I think the guy's name was Alan Gross, um, who was being detained in Cuba, that is now being released. With regards to the relationships that have been opened up, it doesn't appear that we have this complete open-door policy. Um, this seems to be very restricted with regards to the, the people that can go now to and from Cuba, the, the items that could be um, imported and exported to and from Cuba. So th there seems to be a lot of restrictions on this. I mean, I don't think it's really been spelled out. The people against it of Cuban descent, the one thing that I've been seeing in the news with regards to how this is affecting Cubans and Cubans living in America some of the the negative rhetoric on this is, well, you know, by doing this, you are now dealing with a, a government that's a dictatorship. And basically you're saying, you know what, we're willing to do business with governments that have this type of le uh, leadership, this type of suppression and oppression of people that the average... Cuban makes $20 a week, which is not enough to live off of. And, you know, if we're going to do business with a government like that, then America's turning a blind eye to what that government is doing to its own people. If that's what's holding this whole thing up, then we should probably shut off our line of communications with many, many other countries around the world. If you look at leaders around the world and the level of oppression, if you look at what has been going on around the world in different nations that we have relationships with, if we're going to cut off ties to countries because of how different countries treat their people, we might as well just deal with 
Canada <laughs> and England. And, you know, we're, we're going to cut ourselves very short on our phone list or our governmental, you know, Facebook friend list. So I, I don't particularly subscribe to that argument. I can't follow the logic in that argument because it seems very contradictory based upon all of our other international relationships. I, I, I just can't jump into that pool with people. With regards to this being a great thing to open up communications between nations, listen, the bottom line is, you know, we, we had this stance post 9-11, if you harbor terrorists, you're as good as the terrorist. We don't deal with you. Um, we deal with you as a terrorist nation. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think if you are harboring terrorists and you knowingly are doing it, you are as bad as the people you're harboring. Period. End of story. But that you can close off line of communications and say, you know what, we're not going to deal with you as a nation. To me, and again, maybe this is the lawyer in me talking, I think everything is negotiable. I think all nations, all world leaders should be able to have some type of dialogue and deal with one another in one shape, form, or another. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to cut off nations. So, you know, I, I, I happen to think Barack Obama did a, a very smart thing once again. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm for his immigration stance. I'm, I'm really, I don't have a problem with what he did with Cuba. And again, if there is such a big backlash, if there's such a big problem with this, then Congress can act to it. And they can jump all over it. The other thing that's gotten very little play on this is the role of the third party that was very much involved. And again, the, the reason why I think this third party's involvement is downplayed is because of the, the just the view against the organization and entity he belongs to. And that's the Pope. Um, you know, with the Roman Catholic Church falling under such scrutiny, um, it seems that nobody wants to ever give a nod to the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, when something good is done. Everything always goes back to, ah, well, the, the priest is still molesting kids. And, and I've gone over this in previous podcasts. If you want, really want to see child molestation, looking at public schools, four to six percent of all kids will be molested before they graduate high school, 4 to 6%. That number alone outnumbers the total enrollment in private schools. So it, I don't want to hear about priests molesting kids because you know what? It's happening more in public schools by leaps and bounds than it is in a Catholic church. But, the you know, you got to give it to the pope. You know, our, the first Latin American pope, comes in, steps into a situation, and from what I understand in the news reports I've seen, and this is CNN reporting on this, um, mainly I've been getting the news for, with regards to the Pope's involvement from CNN, um, I understand it was huge. So interesting to see how that part of the story, some media outlets are downplaying it, um, other media outlets are, are letting it be known but the full extent of the Pope's involvement still hasn't come out. I think it's very interesting. So I, I don't have a problem with the whole Cuba thing. I think it was a great move. I applaud the president 
for that move. Uh, another story this week that came out that was absolutely sickening was the Taliban terror attack on the school in Pakistan that killed over 100 kids. Now, this is, this is the time for the legitimate members of the Islamic faith to step forward and disassociate themselves once and for all from these radical groups. And I have been a, one of the loudest voices to say the amount of people, the percentage of the Islamic faith responsible for terrorism and these acts of violence is very small in comparison to all of the members of the Islamic faith. It's 1-2%. Unfortunately, 1-2% in a religion that large, you're talking 1-2 million. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people involved in this, but nonetheless, still a very small percentage, a minuscule percentage in relation to the entire religion, which is why even more reason for the rest of the religion to step forward right now and condemn what we have seen. Because in my mind and in my eyes, if you do not step forward and condemn what we saw happen in Pakistan, that is a huge black eye for your entire religion. And this is one that you can't ever let go. You want to talk about priest molesting kids? I'm sorry, but blowing up a school and killing children is right on par with that. And if people are going to have outrage towards the Roman Catholic Church, then we need to have some serious, serious outrage towards the Islamic faith and denounce once and for all what happened this week. If we don't do it, we are absolute hypocrites and we are showing our fear once again to be able to pick and choose our targets. And I've said this, God, in so many podcasts, and I've been saying this all along. If you pick and choose your battles, when to stand up based upon your enemy, and if you're only going to go after soft targets or a bigger trophy that tends to not have as much fight, then you know what? As a nation, you are weak. As a people, you are weak. I don't see the denouncement that I feel we should be seeing right now. I know Barack Obama was dealing with the situation with Cuba. That's done. The Sony situation is being investigated. To me, Obama should be all over this Pakistan thing. All over it. I praised him on immigration. I praised him on Cuba. But I'm sorry. The ball is being dropped big time. Not only by Barack Obama in the United States, by every nation in the world 
I am not seeing it on the BBC. I'm not seeing it on CBC Canada. In fact, I'm going to start looking at Italian news because I understand Italian and I want, I can actually relate to what they're saying in the stories. Um, if I can find other news that can be translated, I do not see the outrage around the world that I feel we should be seeing right now about what happened in that school. I mean, you talk, you look about the, you look at the national outrage we had here when there was that shooting in Newton, Connecticut, Newtown, Connecticut. I mean, the country went into mourning over that school shooting. Why is the world not going into mourning with what happened in Pakistan? I'm sorry, but this this is, and I don't want to hear about the Cuban thing. I don't want to hear about the the Sony hacking thing, pushing that story aside in the same week, and it's been a busy news week. I am not seeing the coverage that that story seems. Now, I'll tell you this, talking about BBC, CBC, Fox, CNN, and our news here, the rest of our news media outlets here, I will say this, international news from other countries Definitely giving it a lot more play than we are here in America. Definitely. And I think it's because of what we're seeing with Sony and North Korea is coming through true through this story where we are afraid of dealing with certain religious groups, certain countries, and we have a fear of terrorism. And we're buckling. We are really weak as a nation. So, I mean, those are the three big stories I saw this week uh, in terms of news, international news, uh, especially international news. That's my approach, you know, wearing my lawyer hat. There's another more local story that I touched on in, in a very joking manner that's been all over the media, and that's the Bill Cosby situation. And a lot of people have come forward with regards to Bill Cosby and and these sexual assault and rape allegations. Let's deal with it again, throwing on my lawyer hat. As to the charges that can be brought against him, he will not face any criminal charges on any of these allegations. The reason why he will not face criminal charges is because there is not nearly an opportunity to gather evidence in order to prosecute these claims. Normally, when there's a sexual assault, there is a rape allegation, there is what the prosecutor's office and investigator's office immediately put into effect, which is a rape kit. And you get DNA, There is all kinds of blood fluid analysis done. There is all kinds of reviews with regards to um, interviewing the person just after it happened. Um, And now you've had this long, you know, gap between the time it happened and to the time it's reported. Now, I'll tell you right now, I tried a case Similar to what O.J. Simpson is going through, it was a rape case that was brought several years after the fact. It was a sexual assault allegation, and the facts did not line up. We tr- it was a bench trial, 
It's tried before a judge, and the judge, in my opinion, totally misread the evidence, totally misread the case, found my client guilty, and then turned around and gave him one-year probation on a first-degree rape, which clearly showed he was having conflict with it. We immediately appealed, um, and on appeal, the case went to another judge who looked at the evidence and said, what the hell did that lower court judge do? There's, I, 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 there's no way I'm enforcing this finding. There's no way I'm going to put this person into probation and give him all the, re- the restrictions, Megan's Law and everything else, based upon this flimsy evidence. It's a very difficult case to prove. The allegations are out there. Bill Cosby's got to deal with them. With regards to the other issue that I'm seeing here that's really coming to the forefront, and that is Bill Cosby's character as an African-American who made such unbelievable strides in entertainment and was a pioneer and really paved the way for a lot of other black comedians, actors, in the industry. No one will ever question that. No one will ever look at Bill Cosby's career and question his effect on the entertainment industry and how he helped really change television and open the door to stand-up comedians to get their own sitcoms based on his one-hour comedy special. There's no question about that. However... If you're going to use that in an effort to say, you know what, we, we, we have to kind of brush this aside. You, you can't do that, and I'm going to use the analogy to Lance Armstrong. What Lance Armstrong helped do to fight cancer was amazing. It really was. Just like what Bill Cosby helped do in the entertainment industry. But, If along the way, rules were broken and, listen, lives were shattered, especially with Lance Armstrong. I mean, he really put people in such unbelievable, precarious situations that he called them liars. He made up stories about them and everything else. Bill Cosby, likewise, you know, sexually assaulting women and and women having to go through the rest of their life with that. Some of the women, I look at them, I look at their role and and what they've done since this time, and I, I question the effect of this sexual assault. I question the effect of this rape, um, which is why this is such a difficult thing. But the bottom line is you can't say, well, look at the accomplishments of this individual. It should wipe away his indiscretions. We didn't do it with Lance Armstrong with the hundreds of millions of dollars he helped raise to fight cancer, you can't do it with Bill Cosby either. So I am not finding Bill Cosby guilty. I am not saying he did it. What I'm saying is you got to be careful with character. All character goes to, in my opinion, is the ultimate sentence when you start looking at aggravating and mitigating factors and how to treat someone 
after you've actually had the determination. In my mind, what was done to Lance Armstrong, banning him from cycling, all of his sponsors were dropping him, and he is pretty much shunned from the Cancer Society community and everything that he was associated with. I think the punishment fit the crime. He was stripped of his titles. Punishment fits the crime. With Bill Cosby, his legacy will always be there. I think this only affects him moving forward, and it's not going to affect him with everybody. I I think he's going to survive this no matter which way it goes because I think a lot of people are going to be very skeptical about the women that have come forward and whether or not they truly were sexually assaulted. I think he's going to be okay one way or another when all is said and done. Um, I think we covered four really good meaty topics. Um, National stories, international stories, um, something much closer to just America with Bill Cosby. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. We got back into news. Um, Hopefully my information, my point of view, my perspective as an attorney shed some light on some things. Feedback is always encouraged. Please email me, message me, post on iTunes, post on Podomatic, post on my Vince August Facebook account. Get to me any which way you can. Please spread the word. Share this podcast. Everyone, thank you for listening. Vince August, episode 17 in the books.